0: you are getting handouts. So why are you doing that? Let's just do a little bit of, of brain teasing, waking up a little bit in the morning, do something lighthearted. Name something you find in outer space. Stars will be up there. Planets will be up there. Satellites I don't think are up there. Junk. <laughs> Anything else you see up there? asteroids, okay. Here's what they said. Darkness, meteors, planets, comets, sun, stars, and the moon was number one. Here's another one for you. Name something you keep within arm's reach while you're on a road trip. Coffee, water, cell phone, GPS, GPS, steering wheel should be within an arm's reach. That's good. That's good. It's not up there, but it's, it's a good answer. Purse, money or coins, water, map, and everyone was phone. Name an animal with a big mouth. Hippopotamus, crocodile, some people. Did you say people? Some people is number what? Three people answered. Okay. Other answers a whale, sharks, elephant, crocodile, lion and hippopotamus is number one. Okay, now this is not a you know, guess. This is taken from surveys, recent surveys uh, top careers that American kids want to be when they grow up. This I think was in 2016 if I'm not mistaken. Top, top choices of kids. When I grow up I want to be a a what? A a basketball player, professional athlete is going to be up there. Fireman, not like it used to be. I don't remember if it's up there. A ninja? You can can make good money as a ninja. It's a career. It's a career, yeah. Anything else? Uh, You would assume doctors and teachers would be up there. And I think they are, but they're lower than they used to be. Astronaut, what? Uh, something IT. Here's what they had put. Police officer was number 10. Writer, detective, criminal, investigator. That's probably CSI programs that did that. Firefighter, pro-athlete, scientist, teacher, musician, actor, dancer, or choreographer is number one. The world is changing. Okay. Here we go. Name the most popular. This is, again, a, a true survey. It's not your know, guesses. What were the, the top nine f- popular foods that people eat on the 4th of July? Hot dogs is there. Hamburgers is there. Potato salad. Potato salad is there. Shouldn't be, but it's going to be there, if I'm not mistaken. What'd you say? Baked beans. Baked beans. I don't remember if they're up there. Corn in the cob, I think, is there. Coleslaw, ice cream, baked beans is there. there. Potato salad's there, apple pie, watermelon, corn. Hamburger, and number one? Oh, yeah. Okay. Name some things that people... Now, this is a family feud question. Okay, this is opinion. Name some things people come back from vacation with. Sunburn, suntans, souvenirs, sickness. You are morbid. (laughs) Okay. Did you say death or debt? debt. Okay. <laughs> Spending too much money. Debt is going to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't sure. What a vacation. Okay. Here we go. Memories. <laughs> a lot less money. Pictures and videos. New clothes. More debt. As suntan sunburn number one was souvenirs. Souvenirs. No sicknesses up there, buddy. Okay. <laughs> Name some things at home that upset you when they don't work. Kids? <laughs> What's that? The heat? The heat? Okay, that. I, I. I'm not sure which ones of those are up there. Which one's upside too? Okay, te- kids are going to be there. Mowers, computer, air conditioning, cable or dish, flashlights. Oh, I added this one. Husband. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That wasn't really up there. Name that. Okay, those of you who are Philly fans, we're getting into spring training. Top 10 all-time Philly baseball players. Mike Mike Schmidt's there. Uh, Pete Rose, I think, is there. I think Ashburn is there. Carlton is there. Schmidt is there. Okay. Here's what, this, and again, this is, uh, this is from an official site. Okay. Cole Hamels, Kurt Schilling, Pete Rose, Chase Utley, Tug McGraw, Ryan Howard, Richie Ashburn, Jimmy Rollins, Steve Carlton, and number one Mike Schmidt. Yeah. For those of you who follow baseball, name the top now this is a survey, this isn't a guess, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like one of the Forbes surveys or uh, uh, recommendations. Top 10 worst gifts to buy your wife. <laughs> Pots and pants. Pots and pants. <laughs> gym <laughs> A gym membership? <laughs> 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 Wrinkle creams was number 10. Okay. This is this is a true thing, and it's like, who would dare buy wrinkle creams, cash, okay, unfamiliar perfumes once that she's she's never tried, tacky novelties like singing fish, (laughs) 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 tickets to a sporting event you want to see, okay, gifts for yourself such as a large TV, okay, diet or fitness products. There you go. A framed I can't imagine this. <laughs> it's like really and it's number three. <coughs> you have to tell somebody not to do that. Clothes in variable sizes. And any appliance she did not ask for, especially a vacuum cleaner. Okay, it was the recommendation. I don't use the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah, you, you're giving me that hairy eyeball. Did I did I didn't give you a picture lately, did I? It's a thought. <laughs> Here we go. Let's get into something more serious. So we've been talking about, and I appreciate your patience, and you're just tolerating me and letting me do this, is, okay, why do we do what we do? And we were talking about the last few weeks our philosophy of ministry. And the idea is we've just basically come to a conclusion that if we're going to make decisions about ministries that come up in our opportunities, we need to have something consistent and wise. It can't be whether I like it or not. It can't be whether it's, you know, a favorite of somebody's. It's got to be something that guides our ministry overall. And So what we've been talking about is saying here's the formula we want to have been and want to continue to operate by. We need to say, okay, what is our primary purpose? Does it fit our primary purpose? And we have said for weeks, our primary purpose as a church is oh please okay to glorify God to glorify God God, okay our primary purpose now I'm gonna say it tug in cheek our primary purpose is not to win souls okay because then then if that was our primary purpose then anything goes to win souls. Okay, so it is a way we glorify God is winning souls, but our primary purpose is to glorify God. And so the way we win souls has to be subordinate to does, this, does the methods we use glorify God. We need to identify our philosophy, and that's what we've been talking about with this passage. <laughs> And let me read it one more time again, okay, that he's talking in this text, and he's talking about the gifts he's given to the church, and as he winds down talking about some of the gifts, some were miraculous, temporary, some were permanent, and uh, uh, the mundane yet permanent. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, And so he's winding down, and the pastor teachers are going to be the ones that are going to be mentioned later on in epistles. They're a permanent office. The apostles was a temporary office. To be an apostle, you had to be able to have direct revelation, do miracles. You had to be able to see Jesus Christ while he was on earth. And so those qualifications cannot be met anymore. It was a temporary office for a short period of time to help with the transition of the church. The long-term offices were the church planters, evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Then he tells why he gave these. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we made observation that what that means and what he's talking about is that we're supposed to be, our ministry is supposed to be spiritual concerns. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him, into all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so the idea is that we're supposed to be ministering, that's uh, dealing with our spiritual activities. That's the primary business of a church, is the spiritual, not not the social, not the um, the uh, educational, okay, uh, community level we can do those things as outreach but our primary goal is we're supposed to be ministering to the spiritual needs uh, of individuals. Then we made this other observation as church members we're to help one another become more like Christ. That's mentioned in this text that as we grow and become more like Christ, fitly joined together, we're to help one another to become conformed to the image of Christ. Then we made this third observation that says as the ministers... Okay, our job is to equip you that is to help you to grow in your faith and that you can help others grow discipleship that Jesus left us here that we are supposed to go and make disciples of all men and to minister in that facet so that's our philosophy that says okay what are we supposed to do we're supposed to be discipling you so you can disciple others and we're not supposed to just provide you activities we're not supposed to be entertaining we're not supposed to be abusing or using you an overworking individual, so that we can sit on a high platform and everybody else do all the work, but as ministers, we're to equip you, train you, to help you to be decide, discipling other people. We talked about the process and that is get people born again, get them trained in the word of God, get them committed and keep on growing them to the point that then they turn around and are able to grow others as well. Where we're at is establishing our priorities. What do we hold as our values? What did we say that what, what we are as a church is our identity? Because we made this observation, no organization can be all things to all men. Now I used, I used the secular world as an illustration to just kind of imply and bring this all to uh, bearing. That in all organizations, in all levels, that you see this in our society that... um, a lot of things. They they identify and say, "This is what we're going to be." Uh, our radio stations is going to be a talk radio. Ours is going to be a '70s music, or or olden uh, old Goldies, or ours is going to be you know a western. It, they do it in media. They do it in in government organizations. Even the military says, "Okay, there's several different branches of the military, they're going to have a different focus." It doesn't mean that they don't help in uh, in overlap, but. Organizations pick and say this is going to be our strengths. This is going to be what we're going to be identified as. And it comes up in all levels of our society and around the world. It's just, it's just part of being able to get things done well. And so what we do is we say as a church that should be us too. We should identify what are we going to do and work on doing those things well. And some of the principles and some of the, the uh, priorities that we've chosen Some of them who are going to be our identifiable traits, we can say, okay, thus saith the Lord, this is what we have to do. Um, Some of them are going to be, what do we choose to do based upon our culture, based upon our focus? And I'll explain as we go through it. So that means that we won't do everything that comes down the pike, everything that other churches do. Some other churches do really good jobs of bus ministries. Some churches do really good jobs with. Uh, I think of the church down south. They developed a handicap ministry, and uh, they have a school. Uh, Precious gems. Is that right down in Greenville area? Okay. Uh, what's that? Hidden Treasures. Hidden Treasures is the name of the school and all. And so they've made that a focus is that they're going to invest and do some of those types of things and God bless them for doing it. That's that's fabulous. And so other, others have chosen this is where we have the gifts, this is where we have the individuals, we have the interests and we're going to focus. And so we've done that in years gone by is we said okay here are going to be our priorities. Here's what we're going to be focusing on. And those are going to help us serve as our filters so that at times when we've seen a shift in the congregation and a shift in talents and gifts and abilities, we can adjust. As, uh, But then at the same time we say we don't and we aren't going to try to be think, become everything and do everything that everybody suggests. If we do, we'll get nothing done. We'll become you know, the, uh, the jack of all trades but a master of Absolutely none. And so uh, we've made that our focus. And we've used this illustration last week that basically it's like your guidelines, your barriers, that as you're traveling along as a church, what are going to be our priorities? What's going to be those things that keep us to say, okay, here's what fits what we are going to do, what we are going to be. And uh, so we've uh, identified some uh, priorities. But I wanted, before I go any further, let me remind you of the warning. Uh, the warnings go this way, that the, whatever we choose as priorities, they cannot contradict Scripture. They cannot contradict Scripture, okay? So we were going to say, well, what we want to do is we want to become uh, a church that is identified as no longer holding church services on Sunday, but we will do them during other days of the week just so that we can accommodate people. That violates Scripture, because the scripture says that, indicates that they were to gather upon the first day of the week, okay? And so we can't choose something contrary to scripture that would be our identifiable mark. Um, some of the traits, as I said, are going to be clearly Bible-based. Some of them are going to say, okay, we, we are going to uh, adapt to what we have chosen, but these, tr- these traits then don't become, say we adapt something. And we say, okay, we're going to adopt a certain... Uh, one, of, one of the things we adopted is we're going to do, and we did this from the very beginning, we're going to have a strong ministries in children's ministries. That has been our hallmark over the years. Active, strong emphasis on children and youth ministries. We do a lot of things with the kids. With the teens, we invest a lot of money in mission trips. Yes, no? Okay. And so that's what we chose to do. Does that mean, thus saith the Lord a church is no good unless they take teens on missions trips. No, we can't say that. We can't say that. We have chosen as church, this is what we're going to do. We, re, we revisit that when we talk budgets and sacrificial Sunday, all those things. But, um, but we can't say just because we do it, thus saith the Lord, everybody has to do it unless we're following a specific Bible verse. And so we have to be careful that we don't become legalistic to say well if they're not like us they're not godly. Okay, did the disciples ever have that problem? Remember the one that's casting out demons? They stopped him because he wasn't with us. Okay, and Jesus rebukes them. So other churches may choose other other similar traits Okay, if they're Bible churches, they'll have some very common similar, but they might choose then for their church that this is going to be an identifiable trait. It might be, it might be altered to a degree. That doesn't mean that they're wrong. We have chosen another, another major, major emphasis in our church is missions. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Okay, we have a huge focus on missions, foreign missions. Uh, does that mean if another church doesn't have that focus on foreign missions, maybe they choose to have a focus on a Christian school. Can a Christian school, can can that take a lot of energy of a church? Sure, sure. sure. And if they choose to do that, does that mean they're wrong because they're not like us in that area? No. No. So we've got to be careful of that. And so uh, with that in mind, okay, we choose, for instance, we choose a more conservative uh, presentation. That doesn't mean because we have a more conservative presentation that somebody who, uh, who doesn't follow that is less spiritual. Okay that becomes legalism and we don't want that to be the case okay and of our presentation so what we said we went here last week and I'll just pick up these are the traits and I've given you some bible verses in your notes I didn't put them up here but uh, some of this is based on what we preached 2 3 weeks ago on the instruction okay our faith our this this is us okay and this is biblical this one's bible we believe that our authority our only authority for faith and practice is the word of god it is not a synod. It is not a, it is not a group outside of us. It is not the pastors. It is not the deacon board. Our authority for faith and practice is the word of God. Okay? Word of God is primary. We said that it must be, be presented in clear fashion. Again, this was that whole message that we preached on 2 Timothy chapter 3. And our Bible teaching will be our focus. Now, last week I just wanted to lay this out. Okay? That doesn't mean that we say, and we didn't say, loyalty to truth means loyalty to one translation. That is the common Popular discussion right now in churches is what translation, and if you're not loyal to a translation, then you're not loyal to the Word of God. We've had people just visiting with them the last few weeks that have made the comment uh, when I talked with them and they asked me, What Bible do you use? You know what Bible I use primarily, it's my preference. I use King James primarily. But it's not solely the King James. So the fellow, the first question he asked me when when he was in our service was, "What Bible translation do you use? Are you are you true?" And he said this words, "Are you true to the Word of God?" Okay, I'm going to respond. I'm true to the Word of God. I prefer to use the King James, but it isn't the only Bible we use. A lot of our people will have different translations. His comment to me was, "Nobody's perfect." I guess there's, there's sin in every church. Okay. Um, I'm not of that persuasion. We are not that type of church that says if you use a different translation you're a sinner. You're a sinner just no matter what translation you use. Okay. And the problem is we're all sinners. but So we don't make the translation the issue. Okay. Uh, because by the way all the translations are Translations, okay? are trans, and I know that some are inferior to others, and that's not—that's not what we—that's not a whole nother discussion. But, um, but you know, I choose. I'm very comfortable with the King James, but I know that many of you have different translations, and you're comfortable with others. And so, we try to m- make sure that we're explaining the passage clearly, and even a lot of a lot of what we do is from the original language, and it's saying, "Here's another word in your translation as well." So, we're trying to say we're going to do Bible preaching and teaching. And that fits the Ephesians 4 mode. If you go back to the Ephesians 4 speaking the truth, okay, is the, is the category. It says that we're going to demand, and this is us, we're going to demand purity and doctrine and accuracy in teaching. We're going to encourage Bible learning. And so in our Sunday schools, in our programs, our Calvary clubs, if your kids are in Calvary clubs, there's a design purpose of those Calvary clubs is to teach basic doctrine. That's because of this principle. Is what it is, and so because of our loyalty to what we say, we want to be loyal to the Word of God. That impacts what curriculum we're going to use, that impacts uh, the music we're going to sing. We're not going to sing, yeah, uh, you know, we're not going to sing every song that comes down the pike that uh, is conservative. Um, there are some songs in this hymn book we don't sing certain stanzas or certain songs. Okay, the reason being, if they're if they're not doctrinally correct, okay. Uh, and there's a few songs in that, that are there, several, several stanzas that we're just going to avoid. Um, and so we're going to say loyalty to doctrine is critical. Loyalty to doctrine. And if somebody is teaching and I, and I illustrated for you that years and years ago when we came here to this church, there was a blend of somebody was teaching and had the opportunity to teach adult classes and was doing it on a regular basis. And I don't know who it was, but I just know it happened according to the notes that were left to us that somebody was teaching you can lose your salvation. And they were allowed to continue to teach that. We're not gonna, if, if that were happening, we're not allowing it. Okay? We're not allowing somebody to teach contrary doctrine because of loyalty to truth. Here's another one that's a priority that we say display of biblical love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. A new, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. It was an emphasis that he had. And so a love for God is, our, is what we're going to encourage. We talk a lot. Somebody asked me not too long ago, is how come you mention so much about prayer and Bible reading? because that's critical for you to have your walk with the Lord and, and time of, of being together, but also a love for one another. That love for one another would be, okay, um, we're going to encourage, we're going we're to promote this, we're going to uh, confront the opposite of this, we're going to work towards this. To How do we build? that compassion and that love. Uh, part of what, we're talk, what we had talked about last week in that, in that fellowship aspect, as far as treating others as you would have them treat yourself, just bonding and trying to encourage those bonding moments that we have. Local church-centered ministries. Uh, we believe that the Word of God says clearly, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't think he said that uh, in scriptures, I will build a social program, a food program. And I'm not against food programs, but that was a subsidiary program. That's a helps we can do. But he's, his primary institution that he's building in, in the church age is local churches. It doesn't mean hospitals aren't good. It doesn't mean schools aren't good. But the primary institution is churches. We're supposed to go out and develop churches and plant churches, and that that will help to teach the Word of God, to ground people and help them go. And so what we do is we say, okay, based upon this being the visible body of Jesus Christ, we understand the local church-centered means this is a ministry that we're going to encourage. We're going to protect the local church autonomy. We don't believe in a in a, somebody else telling us what to do as far as some other group entity. Uh, we're independent, and will involve and encourage involvement in local church ministries doesn 't mean you as an in, as an individual cannot get involved with other community in fact, I think it would be great if you get involved with some community activities and do things that would help out individuals in need there 's nothing wrong with that and doing that on your uh, on your level of in, in, uh, independent, individual opportunities to take those. But as a church, we're going to say, okay, we're going to focus and even in our missions. We're going to focus primarily on local church-oriented ministries and supporting those and encourage those because we're choosing to say, since that is the primary ministry of Jesus Christ, that's going to be our primary focus. Uh, a proper family emph- emphasis. I don't have a specific verse, but it's a reality that we're supposed to be helping families build families. Um, We're supposed to be teaching uh, husbands and wives how to get along. We're to be teaching kids how they're supposed to be uh, responding to parents. We're supposed to be teaching and directing how parents train kids. The epistles keeps on saying, here's what the family's supposed to do. Pass this on. So with that in mind, we want to promote the traditional family. Okay, That would be the normal presentation that we're going to make. We as a church would say, okay, we believe in the traditional family. With that in mind that says, okay, we believe that with the traditional family, what we want to do is we want to, uh, we want to encourage godly marriages and we want to encourage people how to maintain a traditional nuclear family and how to develop that. That doesn't mean that it's wrong for divorced people to be a part of the church, not at all. I'm still. I've shared this with you. There's a there's a church back in our home area that they are a few hundred strong, and they say that they are proud that they don't have a single divorced person in their church. I don't know how they minister to and and ignore the element of that community because 1 Corinthians 7 indicates there were some divorced people within the church, and we want to minister to people who go through that. That's a heartbreak, and I, 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 they're welcomed here because they, they can contribute to a church. They aren't a second class citizen because a lot of those individuals who love the Lord, they had no choice in the matter. And so at the same time we're going to encourage people to try to reconcile and try to rebuild but I reach out and minister and so with that traditional family unit we still would hold to the traditional family idea that the sex state and gender you're born with, that's the gender God intended. And so that's a, one of somebody comes and says, "What do you believe on transgender?" We don't think it's a biblical approach. God didn't God didn't design men to all of a sudden change to become a woman and vice versa. That's the the gender we have is a gift from God for each of us. And he made us that way. And so that proper family emphasis would be okay, what we want to do is want to help families. We want to help people who have gone through the difficulties of a loss of a loved one and, and assist them. And so in helping families, we want to help and we don't want to split up families. And by the way, let me just throw this out. This is the way some of it practically works out. Are you required? We've been told this several times. That we, we insist that the little kids have to leave the services. They can't be in here. You know, on a regular basis, I make the comment and I invite people. If you want to take advantage, you can use those ministries. We don't say from the pulpit, you got to get your kids out of here. Okay? Those junior churches are a choice for the parents. Okay? I've, not, I've never stopped a service and said, you know, if you have a baby in here, get the baby out. Do you, have, you, have you ever heard that? Okay, but we invite people to take advantage of those resources, Uh, and yet some have, within our own church, have said that you're not allowed, they've told visitors, you're not allowed to bring children into the auditorium. Okay, that's not true. That don't, don't present our church as saying we don't want kids in the auditorium. Okay, that, that's a fallacy. That's an erroneous statement to make and we just had to deal with that here in the last six months that somebody had told a visitor kids that the pastor doesn't like kids and doesn't want them in the auditorium when he preaches. Okay. Um, that, that's, that's not true. Okay. If you choose to have your children in the auditorium that's your choice. You got to watch them. I don't. Okay. And I can out-preach your kid crying. So, uh, you know, I'll just, and if need be, I'll stop and go longer. No. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, we want to complement and help families out, uh, but at the same time, we don't want to compete with families. So with that in mind, if you, want to, if you want to take advantage of the children's ministries, take advantage. If you say your life is so busy and you don't want your kids... To have to be in one of those ministries—that's your choice. Okay, you don't—that's that, your parental prerogative. And at the same time, we're not going to fill the calendar. And this is this is an approach. This is how we approach the youth ministry. We are not going to have. I, I just I refuse to let any any of our youth men over the years. I refuse to let them have every week activities for the teens. If we did something every night of the week, or every every week for the teens, and I understand the teens are already probably doing stuff, but if we add onto your plate every single week stuff for the teens, which we already have Sunday night, we already have Wednesday night for the teens, if we add every single week, what's that going to do to you as a parent? It's going to take time. And I wanted, I need time with my kids Without the competition, uh, I have enough competition. I don't want the church to be a competitor. And so we've we've tried to stagger things. We try to complement, not compete with your family unit. And so we want to help. We want to provide ministries that would help you to train and disciple your children. Calvary Clubs is, is wonderful that way. TNT is wonderful in helping to train and to develop the disciplines of it. And again, they're there. They're available for you to take advantage of them. The junior churches. All the junior churches, Pastor Tony tries to put a lot of energy in to make sure they're not all repetitious, saying the same thing. But we have uh, in, in the various junior churches, that are given for the different services, that there is a variety of teaching that's being done. Some basic Bible stories, then building up and trying to keep it so that we are training the kids and also it assists you, helps you if you need tools. And so we believe in that family emphasis. That's how it works out. And so we want to build up Family ministries, help out. We wanna, we've started the, uh, you know, like the young marrieds type thing. Let's try to help the parents and did some focus on parenting and on couple relationships. Um, you, when, we do, when we do weddings, we want to be able to do the uh, premarital, all those types of things. There's another area that we say is very important that we have chosen to say. This is going to be a hallmark. We want personal integrity. And personal integrity of a church is basically saying, okay, there's supposed to be godly conduct by the members of the church. There's a godly lifestyle. If there is an ungodly lifestyle, what are we supposed to do as a church? Galatians six. We're supposed to go, and if we see one overcome in a fault, we're supposed to go them with a spirit of meekness and fear. We're supposed to try to recover them who have been spiritually. They've had a broken bone. If we see somebody who's living in a in a in a way that is really detrimental to the testimony of Christ. We're supposed to go to them and go as one or maybe then two or three and supposed to be able to help them to recover to a point where they're living godly. And so that whole aspect of helping and encourage one another and with that, you know, having having, um, ministries, doing things and operating in a way that we are doing what God would have us to do and be godly in our leadership. This this works out personal integrity in an area of we would demand from our leadership lifestyles that are lifestyles of integrity and a good example. Um, we would demand within our membership that if somebody is living in a blatant way that even the even the world we, like in First Corinthians 7, even the world looks at the man who is shacking up with his father's wife, that the world would look and say that's disgusting. Well then there's a level that says if somebody is living that, that way personal integrity demands that we as a church eventually confront that person and the terminology that we often use is church discipline. Let, let's, let's start working church recovery. Okay. Recovering the individual not just you know, putting him down but trying to recover the individual uh, we will do that. We have done that. And it's not that we're glad to do it, but we believe that that is a biblical formula that says personal integrity is really, really critical. And even as a church, um, some of the most frustrating things, like when we build are uh, what do you call them? The, uh, what is, what are they, the government always requires, the uh, codes. Some of the codes are just plain goofy. Okay. Um, now, we got away with it. Yeah, A friend of mine, a friend of mine um, in ministry, they had a baptistry that it was like over here. And it was sunken into the floor. And their local community said you have to have a ramp of some sort for handicapped people. And so um, that, that was obvious. You couldn't put a ramp in. So they said okay, we're going to require that what you do is you buy one of those chairs that are lifts that are all automated. And they will take the person, they will put the person over, it'll put them into the water. And the automated one that they had, that they, was recommended, would take them all the way below the level of the water, like an immersion. But it would stop for a few seconds before it would start bringing them back up. And so my friend went to the community people and said, if we use that one, we could kill somebody. And they said, well then, then just stop baptizing people. Okay. <laughs> Well now you have the issue of freedom of religion. Okay. And so they had to come up with a compromise situation, but they had to have to have a compromise situation because he still wanted to obey the authorities, but what the authorities were asking was more risky than lifting the person in. So they had to come up with something. When we built this, um, we put that ramp out here. If you've ever walked out and done this hallway, there's that real long ramp. Okay. And it cost us, man, I'm, I'm going to guess, if one of you guys might be able to help me out, $15,000 just for the ramp? And it was like, okay. But we, at the same time, and, and then, so we can ramp somebody all the way up to the tank. I don't, don't tell the authorities. We can ramp them all the way up to the tank, but then to get them in, okay, you just... <laughs> there's no ramp, okay. So it's like, okay, they want us to take a ramp up to the tank, but when we put them in... Okay. Um, but we, we did it for one reason, this personal integrity. Okay, we needed to oblige the codes. And so, uh, up in the balcony. We, uh, when we built this, we didn't have to put an elevator in. We got away without an elevator because we said we would never divide off the balcony to be in a separate classroom. So whatever happens, you know, the balcony is always privy to what happens here. But if we were to all of a sudden section that off, for an extra classroom, then we would have to have an elevator put in. So after the building is built in our minds it's like, oh, should we, ever, should we ever close off the balcony? The government will never know. But we would know. We would know that before the Lord we said we would never do that. And so personal integrity says we'll obey the authorities over us. We'll do what's right and we'll clean up our own house. We'll address certain things. Here's an area of unity of the body. Let me explain how this one unfolds. You see the passages that talk about being united. We recognize that as a unity of the body, every member is important. Every member can contribute to something. And that means that we are supposed to be concerned one for another and try to promote that and encourage that. We're supposed to do things that would not stumble other other believers. So we would say, okay, we're not going to do some activities, or we're going to be careful that if somebody's really struggling, like you, you would personally, we want to be careful not to do that as well, that we would not stumble somebody because of the unity of the body. But it goes a little bit further. Um, it, unity of the body means that we're going to work and do things together. Unity of the body, for for instance, unity of the body. By the way that we have applied it here, is that uh, let's just I'm I'm just going to take. Take uh, any group for, for that's meeting on a regular basis, a Sunday school class, let's do the young adults. The young adults, if they say, hey we had a missionary in and that missionary was here for the missions conference and we are as a class going to totally support a missionary separate from the rest of the church. And we're, gonna, we're going to just do our own missions. That's not unity of the body. Unity of the body is we are supporting missionaries together. And so we have taken that approach, in fact, in our missions policy and in our constitution. We have it that unity of the body when it comes to finances. Unity of body is somebody can't financially do something separate from the church budget. Just, you know, Sunday school class, they want to go and do their own thing. Can't do it because it's all, we're under a unified system. And so we didn't want to divide the body in that regard and so we we said okay, even in the matters of finances, even in the matter of missions, that they might, that if they want to do something with letters and things like that but not take on a missionary for regular support and say this is our college and career missionary and the only one that we as college and career are supporting in the church and it's like wait, you, you can't be a separate entity within the body. In fact, in, in my mind, okay, and this may be goofy, I'm sure, but in my mind uh, we talked about it years ago. Should we make the upper room, which is at that end of the building, should we make it a separate room, just a rec room? Because um, we were approached by some parents and some teens. Can we have a rec room for the kids so that after church the teens can go to an area and it's only the teens allowed? because they had come from a church and there was a sign on the door, nobody but teens allowed in this room. Number one, as a parent, there's no way in God's creation, I'm going to say to the teens, you got this room it's yours and it's yours only. Okay? Um, there's, to me that's just not wise. But, um, but we didn't do that. And one of the reasons we didn't do it is, is they, and I understand, the teens are going to interact with teens but in scripture doesn't it encourage interaction of, gen, uh, of generations? And so instead of segmenting and saying, this is your area, and you go there, and you stay there, and none of us will ever bother you there, and you don't bother us here, why would we encourage some spot that is dissecting, purposefully dissecting the elements of church? A friend of mine is in a church in Ohio. They decided that they wanted to do their church, and they have they, they have a big ministry. So they divided their ministry into four campuses, and in the in the city that they're in, in Ohio, and they have one of their campus churches here, one here, one here. They're different sectors of the of the uh, city, and uh, that way they, they didn't have to build one big massive building. They had small buildings, and they can use them that way. And they decided that what they wanted to do in that church is they wanted to. Accommodate different age groups. So to this campus, and it's, it's almost, you have to. This campus is for the retirees only. So on Sunday mornings, only the retirees go to this part, this church in town. They're all connected because they all have the main The main pastor does a video and it goes to all four of these different churches. So he's in one auditorium and he rotates between them and it gets video fed to the others. So they're a church, but only the seniors go to this this building. That's several miles from the others. Only the young adults and unmarried young adults go to this one. Only those with little kids go to this one. And only those with teens or college age go to this one. And they don't interact. They don't, they don't do things together. In my mind, that violates Titus 2. Big time. Because who's supposed to be teaching the younger? There's got to be interaction between the different groups. There's got to be a better way to divide for the sake of space. That to me was just not a biblical way of doing it for the sake of the unity of the body. I understand you may have to segregate, but then come up with a better method. Don't, don't divide the body based upon, you know, an age factor that is contrary to scripture. And so with that in mind, we say, okay, the unity of the body. We talked about this already, that the whole budgets, the whole missions, that's the unity of the body. Fiscal integrity. Um, do churches ever get in problems fiscally? Financially? Do churches ever have lousy reputations for the way they handle money? Okay, so we chose years ago we want to have fiscal integrity. Does that mean we do everything absolutely right? No. No. Have we made mistakes? I remember one of the huge mistakes I made to this church years ago. We were just, it was, we were talking about building this building. And we had we were meeting in the what's the family center, and we had had business meetings, and we were talking, hey, here's what we do, here's where we here's where we are, budgets, and uh, you know where I'm going with this, because this was your fault. Um, <laughs> so, we were we were presenting, and I presented to the church, here's how much money we have, and here's the here's the uh, possible mortgage that we could get, and different things like that. We were going through this whole process. And the week we were voting on it after we presented it and let it sit and let you think and pray about it for a period of time is Deb came and she says, I think we made a mistake in the, in the books. And going back over the books, we had reported $10,000 more was in the fund than what we had reported because somehow in dealing with making the reports, we had inadvertently doubled up on some $10,000 deposit. And uh, we didn't catch it. And we were closing towards the end of the fiscal year, so our books hadn't been audited yet. And so we were presenting this, and it was like, oh, my word. I've got to go back to the congregation and tell them that we made a $10,000 mistake and I got to tell them before they vote. Okay, in my mind, I had to tell them before they vote. So we get up, and I presented to you. Um, you know, here's what we did. Um, as the bookkeeper, she offered her resignation. Um, seriously, seriously, we did, and I offered to resign as well. The money wasn't that it disappeared. It was just a double repetition of the money, and I forget all this, how it happened but it, it, it happened It happened where it was double reported we thought mm-hmm. and, and so we, we presented it the church said in that business meeting she doesn't have to quit uh, bookkeeping I don't have to quit the church and the church voted to move forward so there are those possibilities when we make mistakes should I finish out the story that we never told anybody two weeks later we went back when we got the audit uh, two weeks later we had the, the official audit and it wasn't a double counting we had we really had the money there the way we first presented it but we had thought there was a mistake and we ran with a panic with the mistake and then as we went back over and it was audited it was like wait a minute it was there so what we said wasn't there what we said originally was the true was the accurate one and then we came back and apologized for mis uh, misstating 10,000 and then you know, and you were very gracious, and then we found out, actually, we never did make a mistake in that 10000 but we never came back and told anybody. We just said, we'll eat it and uh, let people think we're idiots. Um, and if we, besides, if I told you back then, you would have thought, not only an idiot for that, but even a double idiot, because there it is, and it just got worse. But uh, fiscal integrity is very, very important, and it's, so what we think and what we, what we believe and preach and teach is that we're not supposed to be doing public, public fundraising, the Constitution doesn't allow this. So when somebody says, why don't we hold uh, bazaars, why don't we do an all-church what do you, what do you call these things out? you do out in the parking lots? Um, garage, sale. garage sale. A big family garage sale to raise money for missions. Uh, we've opted not to do that. We just said, okay, it's supposed to be supported by the tithes and the offerings, and that's our fiscal p- pattern. Uh, we think that care should be given how you collect the funds. All these areas, okay, uniform budget. This is our fiscal, this is what we are, okay, and what we claim, uh, what we want to do. And that you have the final say about the finances and that we do the audit and we do all those types of things. Evangelism of the lost, this is, every church has to have this. Okay, that you're going to have ministries to reach out to train people on how to share the word of God, uh, disciple, and by the way evangelism of the lost, let, let's, let's again state it here evangelism isn't complete when we just give out a tract and they respond and get saved there's more to it, there's discipleship involves not only getting them saved but training them training them. And so going a little bit further. And so our emphasis is outreach ma- uh, measures that say, okay, let's help people get into, you know, get born again, but also they follow the Lord and believers, baptism, et cetera, et cetera. Missions, you know that we have that emphasis on missions. And so we have an emphasis that says, okay, here's what we're going to do mission-wise. And this is an emphasis we've chosen. fewer Support of, uh, support of fewer missionaries for a greater amount. And um, we've discussed that, and the reason we do it is that if missionaries come home and have to seek support and get it from 60 churches, when they come home for one year, they have to report to all 60 churches. If instead of having 60 churches that support them for you know, whatever it may be, you know, $200 each, why don't we support missionaries for several hundred dollars and reduce the number of churches they have to report to? So when they come back, they can have a better relationship with those fewer churches. So to me, I look and say, okay, if there's only 15 of us churches that have taken and are supporting the missionaries more generously, each and every one of them, they can have a better relationship with 15 than they can with 60. And every every missionary that comes through says they would prefer this approach. Makes perfect sense to me. And so we've, uh, we've decided that we want to promote missions and interaction with, between you and the missionaries. And uh, we, want to, we will only support those who are of the same church-centered basis of what we're doing. Now some of them are training the pastors, some of them are, are assisting churches, but there's church-focused ministries is what we choose. Mentoring a new generation, this is the one that we chose from the very beginning that said what we want to do is we want to reach the next generation. We want to train them. We want to have strong ministries for the kids. We want to have active ministries for the teens that they think and they want to serve the Lord. And so we want to train them in doctrine. We want to systematically teach the kids so that they understand the Word of God when they leave here. And uh, so our our 3Ms that we talk about that's been brought up frequently is we want the kids to have mentoring ministry and good memories of serving the Lord. So we invest a lot of time and energy uh, you know that by staff personnel, things like that. We uh, invest a lot in mentoring a new generation. The, um, the idea is that what we want to do is encourage even some of the young people to consider vocational ministry, lifetime ministry, whether it be pastoring or teaching or, uh, or missions around the world or you know Bible camps, things of that sort. We want to encourage that. And so we want to help and encourage, and we had a program that some of those who were in those vocational trainings for their master degrees, we could help them out financially with some of the gifts that you gave, uh, gave to that. Biblical separation is a hallmark. It is a biblical hallmark that says we are and understand we're to be separate from the world, not to act like the world in attitude and actions. And so what we want to do is we want to have purity at the same time present the gospel. We can do it in fun, but we can't do it in a risque fashion. And so in that separation, that what we want to do is, is maintain a separation from those who do not preach the truth or those who are heretics, that we would separate from them. I've given you multiple verses that talk about that that we've mentioned in the past. And so we don't do cooperative ministries with churches that do not have sound doctrine. And uh, that's, that's not because we choose to just be persnickety, but because the Word of God says that if somebody is not walking in that truth, we're, we're not supposed to be doing cooperative ministries. And uh, so that means, okay, we're not going to get together if all the churches in town say, let's, let's do a uh, Franklin Graham crusade in the area. And we're not going to stand on a platform saying we're standing here next to some whatever uh, Presbyterian or Catholic guy and saying we all believe the same thing. We don't all believe the same thing. And if people got born again in that setting, I'm not going to say you can go to any one of these churches. They shouldn't. Okay, they should go to a Bible believing preaching church that holds to the truth. So we just won't cooperate in those regards. Then we would say, and this probably the, the, the term should be altered and I'll do it as we go along, is we have taken in, this is by choice, uh, more traditional, uh, worship, that our main activity is worship, that our worship should be theocentric, not man-centered. And so in our preaching, and our teaching, and our service, we want to be God-focused, not people-focused. Where, okay, come here and I'll give you a feel-good message. Okay? We want to give you the Word of God. And so with that, we want to make sure that we're doing things orderly. We talked about that. Um, conduct our, our opportunities to teach the Word of God on a more uh, regular basis. And yet I want to clear we are, even in our style of worship, we want to be current, but current conservative. Cur- what I mean by that is, uh, even our, our dress, we want to be current, but we want to be current conservative. Uh, our style of music, we, wanna, we want to be conservative, but is it evil to use music that's written today that is, that is biblically correct and very conservative. There is no thus saith the Lord. It has to be written prior to, you know, 1999 in order to be good music. And so we will use some current written music that is done in a conservative fashion. And, uh, and to me, that fits into this mold of that traditional idea. Now, putting it all together, that leads us, this is how we do what we do, is we look and say, okay, these are our barriers, this is how we operate, this explains to you how we go about what we do based upon all of these guidelines that we have chosen. Now, others may choose other guidelines. These were the ones that the staff we put together years ago, we have found to be very helpful in guiding us, and they seem to still be relevant to what we're doing. Speaking of relevant to what we're doing, it is now 10-16. Let's get relevant by doing some visiting and getting ready for worship. Thanks.